Well, I wonder if there was one event in history that you could choose to have witnessed firsthand, what would it be? What event in history would you have liked to have seen? There was a survey done, you wouldn't be surprised <laughs> to find out about this. And this is what some of the people said. At number 40 on the list was the Great Fire of London in 1666. People would have liked to have been there. I don't know why, but people would have liked to have been there. Another one was the signing of the Magna Carta in 1215. Others would have liked to have seen VE Day in 1945. And number 17 in the list was the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, people would have liked to have seen that. 1911, in number 14 in the list, was the launch of the Titanic. Again, people would have liked to have seen that. Um, the construction of Stonehenge is number nine in the top 10. But here are the top four. Number four, the launch of the Apollo 11. Um, you might even remember that. The fall of the Berlin Wall, 1989. Live Aid, 1985. And what's the number one thing that people voted? They wanted to have been there and to have seen it in the flesh. It was England winning the World Cup in 1966. That's what people would have seen. They went to see it, to believe it happened, I think. But, you know, what event could you choose? Because here we are coming to such a precious point in history. As we saw over the last few weeks, this is the hour that Jesus has been waiting for. The hour has come. The Son of God, the reason he's come is to die on the cross. And we're getting closer and closer. But what we see here is there are people who are with him that night. They are seeing what's happened. But even though they're there physically, they are missing the whole point. They are missing out on Jesus. They're missing on why he came. So I want us to ask this question as we look at this passage today. How can we miss out on Jesus? How can we end up missing out on Jesus? This Easter, if you're a Christian, we can kind of come close to these passages that are so precious and we can just miss the whole point, can't we? We can have our focus somewhere else. Well, let's pray today we don't miss Jesus, but that we see him for who he is. And maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. You know, again, we can be close to what Jesus is doing. We can understand a lot of what's going on in the Bible, but we can miss him. What reasons can we miss Jesus? Here are three ways in this passage. The first thing that we can miss Jesus by doing, or the first thing that we can do is this. Ritual can help us miss Jesus. Ritual or religion can help us miss Jesus. So the first people that we see in this passage in verse 28 there are the Jewish leaders. Remember where we've just been last time we looked at the high priest questioning Jesus and saying and cross-examining him. And then um, in the middle of this illegal trial, one of them walks over and slaps Jesus in the face. They, they were in the middle of this illegal trial, treating Jesus horrendously. And there, um, in, the, in the middle of all of this going on, they take Jesus over to the Roman governor. They want Jesus killed. They don't have the authority to do that. So they want to go higher. They want to take him to Pilate. But on their way over to take him to this uh, Gentile leader, this non-Jewish person, look what we're told in verse 28 at the end there. Um, they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So here are people who were taking part in this illegal trial, in, in this trial that was in the middle of the night, where it shouldn't have been, where they asked Jesus questions to answer for himself, where there weren't any witnesses or people couldn't stand up and agree with one another on what was happening. And it was illegal. It was horrible. They were treating Jesus horribly. They were abusing him. And they were handing this innocent man over to be killed. And yet, what were they most concerned about? They were most concerned about keeping the rituals, following their rules. We don't want to be defiled. We can't go into Pilate's court because if we do that, we're defiled and we won't be able to eat our Passover meal. 
Now, this is just so shocking, isn't it, to see? And the irony of this all is that the Passover was remembering the night um, when the, um, the people of Israel were set free from Egypt. Do you remember what happened? Uh, there, they were slaves in Egypt. And God says, I promise I'm going to set you free. I promise that I'm going to um, liberate you from slavery. And so they had to all take a lamb, and the firstborn in each, um, the firstborn in each family was going to die, unless the lamb died in their place. So the lamb died in their place. And there, um, they've shed the blood. They put the shed blood on the doorposts. And the, um, the angel of death then came, didn't it? And judgment came over the whole of Egypt. And if the lamb hadn't died, then the firstborn would. And so they were set free. And what they would do is every year, they would eat that lamb. And they would remember that God set them free. And they were looking forward to a day where the true Passover lamb would come. Where the true Passover lamb would come and they would see that uh, that lamb had taken their place and would truly liberate them and set them free. Now, when it comes to here, we know that Jesus is the true Passover lamb. He is the one who was about to die in our place. He was the one whose blood was going to be shed so that we could be set free. And here they were handing over the true Passover lamb to be killed. And they were just concerned about keeping the rules. They were missing what it was all about. You know, it's so sad to see, isn't it? They were so concerned about the ritual, they missed the reality. They were so concerned about the religion that they missed out on the relationship with God. And when we just pause to think of that, we can shake our heads and tut, can't we? But don't we see that that can so often be us? We can be more concerned about the ritual, about the religious practices than we can about who it's all about. It reminds me of Luke 15. Do you remember the, the parable of the two brothers in Luke 15? And there you have the younger brother who goes to his father and says, basically, I wish you were dead. Can I have my inheritance now, please? He gets the inheritance, goes away, squanders it on, on loads of different things, and he's got nothing. And he ends up coming back, and when he comes back, his father greets him, and, and they have a celebration, they have a party to rejoice that the son has returned. But who else is in that house? We've got the elder brother. The elder brother was doing everything right, it seemed, from the outside, didn't it? He was close to the father um, in proximity. He was near to him. Uh, he was doing the things that he thought the father wanted him to do. But in that parable, who's left on the outside and who's in? Left on the outside is the older brother. And he said, I've been doing all this thing for you, and I never got a part like this. I didn't even, you know, I got nothing. He's left on the outside, and the younger brother's welcomed in. He's doing all the right things, it appears, but actually he's nowhere near his father. He's far away. So often that can be yes, can't it? We're very good at doing the right thing outwardly, very good at looking the part, very good at being in the right place, doing the right things, but our hearts can be far from Jesus. Instead of coming to a meeting, do we realize that this morning we seek to encounter the living God? Instead of simply coming to, to church, just to, because that's what we do on a Sunday, we come to praise the living God, to encourage one another, to, uh, to um, meet with Him. Instead of maybe when we pick up the Bible, we're not just reading a book to tick it off a list. Well, that's why I've done my Bible reading for the day. But we come to encounter the living God. See, we can just be happy with just coming to church, maybe reading the Bible now and again, saying our prayers, and that's it. But God just seems far away. Instead of looking down on judging others, are we truly loving our neighbour? 
as ourselves. You see, we can miss Jesus. We can be good at all the rituals, all the outside stuff, but the reality is gone and we've missed him. Perhaps we've slipped into doing things and rituals or religious activities in order to gain God's love because we think we're not good enough and I need to do something to earn God's love for me. Well, look at the lamb this morning, the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, as he was taken, as he died in our place, he did that so we could be forgiven and be right with him. So we need to rest in what he's done for us, not try and earn it. We can never be good enough for him, but he was good enough. And that's, what, that's how we can be accepted. So look at the lamb this morning. Look at Jesus Christ. It's not about the religious rituals. It's about the relationship with him. So one way we can miss Jesus is by making it all about the ritual, all about the activity rather than the heart, which is what we see with these uh, Jewish leaders here. The second thing that we can, the way we can miss Jesus and miss out who he is is by misunderstanding, misunderstanding who he is. So this was very early in the morning. Um, Pilate must have wondered why on earth he was being woken up uh, and why on earth the court needed to be adjourned now. Um, but the Jewish leaders had already been up all night, hadn't they? And they hold this mockery of a court and this trial, and they have their long-time target, Jesus of Nazareth, and they uh, bring him to Pilate. So Pilate says, well, what accusations have you got against him? What's the reason for this? You know, at this time of the morning, it better be pretty, pretty serious. But the answer, well, it's inconclusive, isn't it? What do they say? Well, we wouldn't be bringing him here unless he was guilty. You know, they don't say what, but they just say he's got to be guilty, hasn't he? And Pilate turned around and said, don't waste my time with your petty Jewish laws. I haven't got time for that. Sort it out yourselves. And then they say, but Pilate, we want him to be put to death and we don't have the authority to do that. You've got to do it. So Pilate takes him into his headquarters and here he is, the son of God, standing before Pilate. What's he going to say? What's he going to ask him? Well, that's where we get a chance to kind of listen in on here, isn't it? He interviews Jesus and he wants to find out more about this man before he has this, um, he puts the death sentence on him. Now, um, the Jewish leaders obviously would have filled him in a bit more about why he was being brought there, because look what uh, Pilate says in verse uh, 35, um, sorry, verse 33, are you the king of the Jews? That's the first question. Are you the king of the Jews? Is that who you are? And what's G uh, Jesus' answer? He says, do you say this of your own accord or do they tell you? And then Pilate answers flippantly, verse 35, am I a Jew? Your own nation and your chief priests have brought you over here. What have you done? What's going on? Talk to me. You know, as we go on to see later, Pilate says, I've got the authority to, to get you killed or not. You better you know, play ball with me. But Jesus wants to stop and say, hang on, you've asked if I'm a king. Let's think about that for a minute. And look what he says in verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. So you're thinking, Pilate, Jesus is saying, of a kingdom like yours. You're thinking I'm a king like um, a revolutionary, that I'm raising up my own band of people to take over Rome, but that is not the kind of king I am. If I was that kind of king, I would have soldiers. If I was that kind of king, um, I would not have been allowed myself to be arrested. If I was that kind of king, um, I would be using force. But in fact, Jesus stopped Peter using force. Remember when Peter got his sword out, Jesus said, no, 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 that's not it. That's not the kind of king I am. And that's why Jesus goes on to say in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. What's he saying? 
He's saying, you need to understand what kind of king I am. Pilate's asking of this, you know, thinking, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the one who's coming to take over Rome and, and release them from our captivity? You know, can you imagine Jesus standing there in this kind of grand palace, you know, with the big pillars there, you know, with the marble floors, with all the gold shining all around, and Jesus saying, no, 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 my kingdom isn't like you understand the kingdom. That's not uh, how, how I work. My kingdom runs on a whole different set of principles to your kingdom, Pilate. Don't compare our kingdoms. It's not of this world. It is so much bigger than that. Like I said in verse 10, 11 and chapter 19, look what Pilate says. Pilate says, will you not speak to me? Don't you know I've got the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And then Jesus said in verse 11, you'd have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. I'm part of a greater kingdom than you understand, Pilate. I'm the true king of all. Now, Jesus knew that the kingdom of God would last forever. Maybe he was looking at Pilate, looking at the Roman Empire and thinking, you know, it's not going to be long before the Roman Empire falls. Think of where the Roman Empire is now. It's basically museums, isn't it? We can go and see the ruins there in Rome. But the kingdom of God is still growing, still going. My kingdom's not of this world, Pilate. I'm a different kind of king. So Pilate is cross-examining Jesus. He's finding out who he is, and he realizes he's discovering that he's a king, but a different kind of king. Now, when we come to the Bible and we look at the kingdom of Jesus, what is it like? See, it's different. It's an upside-down kingdom. So the way in which we think are, things that we think are important in, in our world aren't so important in the kingdom of God. So it's a kingdom we know of humility. Think of Matthew 5. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom looks like. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are weak, who, don't, who, can't, who say they can't do it on their own. Those who haven't got it in them to keep on going. Those who feel like they want to give up. Blessed are they, theirs is the kingdom. Not those who are strong, not those who think, I can do this on my own. It's a kingdom of humility. It's also a kingdom of grace, isn't it? Think of Ephesians 2.8, what we looked at a few weeks ago. By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own, it's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one could boast. A kingdom where we don't earn our position, where it is a gift of grace. It's a kingdom of equality. Galatians 3, neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, all of you are one in Christ. We're all equal. It's not about um, ladders and getting higher and higher. No, we're all one in Christ. This is the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom of, of, of service. In um, Mark 10, Jesus said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Greatness in the kingdom of God is not how high you can get, but how low you can go. You see, the, one, the, the, first, the last shall be first. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's not of this world. It's different to what you think. Stop thinking that you understand the kingdom of God, Pilate, Jesus is saying. It's different. And a Christian who is somebody who's part of that kingdom, and that means that Jesus is their Lord, He's their boss, and that means that we're part of this upside-down kingdom, that His priorities need to be our priorities. We need to live in a way that honours him, him, a kingdom of humility. The way up is actually the way down. The entrance to the kingdom of God isn't high up, it's low down. It's a kingdom of grace, a kingdom where we're accepted not in what we've done, but in what he has done 
in our place. And as we think on that, that is what the king is like, that is what we should be like and show through our lives. And we show in the humility, the grace, the love, the equality, the acceptance, the, the humility, the servingness of, of that. Are we doing that? Are we showing it? Because we can miss out on Jesus because we think we get him. We think we understand. Oh, I know it's about trying to be better, trying to be accepted by him, trying to do the works. That, but no, Jesus says, the kingdom is different. The, the, the least shall be first. Those who are forgotten about in society, they shall be honoured. That's what we need to live out, isn't it? But sometimes we can miss Jesus because we think we understand, we think we know, but Jesus wants to say, my kingdom is not of this world. Get the ideals of this world out of your head and get the ideals of the kingdom of God in. It's different. Don't miss out. So we can miss out of Jesus with ritual, by just falling into thinking it's about empty ritual. We can miss him because we misunderstand who he is. But the last one is this, we can miss him because of indecision, because of indecision, being indecisive. And this is where we see Pilate really um, thinking through and encountering Jesus. So here's, he's encountered this king who's not what he expects, not the kind of king who's going to come rushing in with an army, but a king who, who wins by losing, a king who's going to uh, achieve his throne and he's, he's going to conquer by looking like defeat, being defeated. And look what he says in verse 37. Pilate says, so you are a king. And Jesus says, you say that I'm a king, but for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus is saying, I have come to bear witness of the truth. I've come to tell you the truth. Now, Jesus and the theme of truth is a big thing in John's gospel. It starts in John chapter 1. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to know what is true and what is false, if you want to know what is real, I help you. I am the truth. Measure everything by me, he's saying. I am what is trustworthy. I will tell you not what is fake or what is lies. At the moment, it's so hard, isn't it? And there's a lot of um, suspicion about news and reporting. Started with Trump a few years ago when he started spouting out about fake news. And people are uncertain what to trust. What can we trust? What information is reliable? You know, can we really trust where this is coming from? What's the motivation behind this? And everybody's on edge thinking, we don't know what's going on. Where do we turn to find what is true? Where can we get the real answers? Jesus says, I've come to testify to the truth. I've come to testify about me. I am the truth. So in a world where we don't know who to trust, we don't know where to turn, Jesus is saying, I'm the truth. You can really trust what I've said and who I am. Now, when we hear that about Jesus, it's very different, isn't it, to the world around us. Jesus says, I am the truth. Where the world around us will say, we all have our own truth. Yeah, what's your truth? Tell me your truth. But Jesus says, no, we can't define truth on our own. I define truth. And it's really important that we see how, how uh, crucial Jesus' words are here. Do you imagine a situation where um, maybe a group of friends go down to Tenby for the weekend and they fancy a late night swim in the hotel, so they go down to the pool and they climb up, there's a diving board in this pool, 20 foot high, and they're on top of the diving board and then they realise that they can't see the water. Kind of a mist has come over the pool. 
again, you need a lot of imagination for this, okay? But go with me for a moment. There's mist come over the pool. They're on this 20-foot diving board. And then they start to think, well, is there water in the pool? Was the pool empty or was it full? Now, one of them is convinced there's water in there. You know, no, there's definitely water in there. But another person says, no, 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 there isn't water there at all. No, they've emptied the pool in the night. And then someone comes along to help and they say this. Look, the important thing isn't if there's water in the pool or not. It's how you feel about it. That's what's important. There's no real right or wrong here. There's no black or white. You know, just how you feel, that's what's important. Now, we can see how ridiculous that is in that situation, can't we? Life or death there. If you, it, is, it does matter what the reality is and what is true, because the moment you leave that diving board, how you feel about there being water in there doesn't matter if there is no water in there. When Jesus says, I am truth, he is saying something so huge, so um, massive today. He's saying, look, I define what's real. And when Jesus says that, he pushes us like he does so often into a corner and says, you need to decide about me. Either what I am saying is total nonsense and arrogant and you can ignore it, or what I'm saying is true and you have to listen. There's no two ways about it. Either you ignore me or you fall flat on your face and you worship me and trust me. What's it going to be? See, we can't be indecisive with Jesus. He forces us to make a decision. So what does Pilate do? Pilate is confronted by Jesus claiming to be this truth. And he says, Pilate says, look, my conclusion is you're not guilty. He says it three times in this passage, not guilty. He sees he should let Jesus go because he's found that this man is no threat. But Pilate is stuck. He can't just let Jesus go because he knows, and we know from other sources in history, that Pilate has upset the Jews on different occasions. So there's one occasion where he built up these Roman images um, and he created this huge uproar with the Jewish people and they had to be pulled down. There's another time where he used temple money for, uh, to build an aqueduct. Uh, and again, he just created uproar with the Jews. Tens and thousands of Jews were up in arms about how he'd use the temple money. And so here was Pilate. He was on thin ice with the Jews already. And Rome would have been watching. His big boss, Caesar, would have been watching. And, and, and if, if uproar, another uproar happened, then you know, there's not going to be much mercy left for Pilate. So Pilate wanted to keep the peace. Pilate wanted not to upset anybody. And so he had a dilemma. If he does the just and right thing, which is to release Jesus, he creates an uproar. So what does he do? Does he go for his job and his livelihood, or does he go for the truth? Well, Pilate tries two things to get out of it, doesn't he? Do you notice what he does? The first thing he does, he lets popular opinion decide, verse 39. Look what he says there. Um, he said, he, verse the end of 38, he says, He went back outside the Jews and said, I find no guilt in him, but you have custom that I should release one man to you for the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? So he's saying, look, here's your chance. I can set him free. And what do they say? We want Barabbas. We want the robber. We want that man who's, who's a killer. We want him instead of Jesus. So he's back to square one as Pilate. So what does he do next? Well, he tries to compromise. He tries to sit on the fence. And this shows something of the cowardice of the character of Pilate, really. Because Pilate thought, by punishing Jesus, by having him scourged and flogged and beaten up, roughed up a bit, that would please their crowd. They'd be happy. So that's what Pilate does in those horrible verses in verse 2. Pilate, verse 19, chapter 19, verse 1, Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and 
put it on his head and arraigned him in a purple robe. He got the Son of God beaten up for no reason, but he was trying to sit on the fence. He was trying to please the people, and he thought that would be enough. So he brings him out. They mocked him. They put this pretend crown of thorns and, and crushed it onto his head. And here they bring him out in this robe, and he says, behold the man. Here he is. Here's the one you went. Happy now? I've beaten him up. You can see blood. You can see his bruised face. Is that enough for you? But what do they say? Verse 6, they're not happy. They cried out, crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate was trying to please them. He was trying to let the public decide. He was trying to compromise. And he ended up saying, I find no guilt in him. You crucify him. Then they say, look what that happens in verse 7. We have a law. According to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Pilate is terrified. He has heard now, hang on, you've never told me anything about this, the son of God. Who have I been dealing with? Who have I been in a room with? And he is scared. He has just sent this man who is claiming to be the son of God to be beaten up. And he is even more afraid. Now, he's afraid anyway because of what might have happened because of the Jews um, creating his uproar. But as well, he now was worried about who he was encountering. And he knows if I get this wrong, there's going to be huge trouble. Now, he, was a, he would have been superstitious, possibly. You know, what have I done? Beating up somebody who claims to be God? He was afraid. So, he last chance, he goes back to Jesus in verse 9, and he says, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Can you imagine the silence? Here he is, he's, he's been in a room with the Son of God, and everybody who encounters him knows there's something different about him. Here he is, he's asked him these questions, he's just heard that he's claiming to be the Son of God, and he says, who are you? Where are you from? What does Jesus do? He just stands in silence. Pilate is scared, he doesn't know what to do, he's aware he's looking at an innocent man, and this innocent man says nothing. It's as if Jesus knows there's nothing he can say to change his mind. It's as if Jesus knows there's nothing that he can do to change his decision. Pilate was letting other people decide for him. The truth didn't matter to Pilate. Now this is confirmed, isn't it, as the Jews show him um, that if they don't do what they wanted, they're going to go to Caesar. Look at verse 12. Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried him out, if you release this man, you're no, no, uh, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who opposes himself, uh, sorry, everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Look, you've got it here. We've got you, Pilate. You've got to crucify him. So Pilate hands Jesus over to be crucified in verse 16. Pilate couldn't make a decision about different, uh, Jesus. He knew that there was something different about him. He knew that what the people were saying was, was wrong, but he couldn't decide on Jesus. He was indecisive. Now, how many of us this morning are guilty of doing the very thing that, Jesus, that happened to Jesus here with Pilate? Maybe you've had an encounter with Jesus. You know who he is. You've heard a lot about him. You've read about him. You've read the Bible. You've come face to face with this man who obviously claims some amazing things. He's pushed you into the corner and you see it's either him or nothing. You see he's a king. Now the question is, what do you do with him? What are you going to do with Jesus? Do you understand that you have to make a decision on him? See, Pilate didn't decide, but in a way that was a decision. 
it was a decision to reject Jesus, even though he didn't officially decide it was rejection. And if you are undecided today on following Jesus, that is you rejecting him. Say, no, I, I, I won't have him. You can't sit on the fence with Jesus. But what will you do with him? One of the dangers of Pilate was he let popular opinion decide. Will you let popular opinion decide on Jesus, or will you look at the evidence for yourself? Will you listen to what everybody else says? Oh, it's a load of nonsense. You know, old-fashioned, we don't need that today. Or will you look at who Jesus is for yourself? Maybe you'll try and compromise. You'll take a little bit of Jesus, but the rest you'll just work out on your own and think, oh, I'll, say, I'll do a few things, you know, I'll, I'll go to church, go to chapel, say my prayers, but for the rest of my life I'm having to myself. But Jesus brings us down and says, no, you, you can't do that with me. You can't compromise. It's all or nothing. So this morning, what are you going to do with Jesus? If you haven't ever decided on him, to not decide is to reject him. And maybe this morning is the time where you see, just as Pilate, Pilate cross-questioned Jesus, you're cross-questioning him now in your mind and you're seeing, I need to trust him. I believe this is true. I believe I must follow him. Or maybe you're here as a Christian. And if you're honest, your life is just one big compromise. You are taking a little bit of Jesus here, but the rest of it is all yourself. And Jesus pushes us into that corner and says, I'm the truth. Don't, don't you believe it? It's all or nothing. You can't be half-hearted with me. So what's it going to be? We can miss out on Jesus. We can miss out because we care more about the ritual. We can miss out because we don't understand what he stands for and what his kingdom is like, who he is. We can miss out because we're indecisive. This morning, let's see, Jesus says, who will you trust? Just as we close, as a Christian, if you're a Christian here this morning, here is our Jesus, here is our Savior. Look at him as he takes this road, as he starts to walk the path up to Calvary. And he is doing that for you. He's doing that for me. As we behold this scene, I want us to finish by worshiping Jesus because of what he's done for us. Listen to these verses in Isaiah 52 and 53 as we close. They kind of prophesy this. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground, and had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, he has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. We like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here is our saviour, silently going to the cross because he knew it was the only way to save us. Hallelujah, what a saviour. Let's praise him today. Let's not miss out on him. Let's draw close to him. Trust in his sacrifice in our place. Let's pray to, to close.
Father, we thank you that we have had the opportunity this morning to draw close to our Saviour Jesus. And we pray, please, would we not miss out on him? Would we not ignore him? If there's anyone here yet to trust him, please, Lord, would you help them this morning to put their faith in Jesus? If there's anyone this morning, Lord, living in that uh, place of compromise, where we're taking part of Jesus, but not really following him, please, Lord, would we be warmed by the love of Jesus for us on the cross, be able to say, hallelujah, what a saviour, and to live our all for him. We pray this, Lord, for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen. Let's close our time together by uh, singing our last hymn, Man of Sorrows, What a Name. Let's stand and sing.